Welcome to How to Love Forever. In this episode, we explore the three levels of relationship strength, fragility, resilience, and anti-fragility. We see how these states differ from one another and how that relates to the strength of one's relationships. We discover how chasing happiness can actually make you miserable. And we touch on ways we can get past relationship challenges and emerge stronger from them. All coming up right, right now. Hi. I'm Marco. And I'm Heather. We invite you on a journey of discovery as we explore techniques, tools, and inspiration to better our love lives and our sex lives. Join us as we travel the world, seeking out the stories that can help improve how we do romance and relationships. Come with us as we discover how, how to, to love, love forever. forever. Hi, love bunnies. Welcome to How to Love Forever, the podcast that explores all aspects of relationships, romance, and sexuality. My name is Heather. And my name happens to be a different name. My name is Marco. Good job, Marco. I thank you. So last week, we discussed trauma, how it can affect all of us at one time or another, and some of the methods for healing. This week, we are looking at the superpower that allows us to experience pain and trauma, but come out the other side a better person. Mm -hmm -hmm. That sounds like a good trick, because life <laughs> is full of pain. Life is pain. Life is pain. You know, both physical and emotional, it's true. Jim Morrison says, no one here gets out alive. So far, he's right. So far. We can do our best to be aware of the obvious dangers, but we're not going to be able to avoid every single one of them. Mm -mm. To exist, says the Buddha, is to suffer. It comes with the package. You see, I was able to quote the Buddha and Jim Morrison in the same paragraph. You owe me $10. I owe you nothing. Oh, such pain. Suffer. <laughs> I'm suffering. It's a gift. <laughs> Thank you for the suffering. <laughs> and as Marco says, we can't avoid all the pain. Sure, we could try closing ourselves off from the world by living as hermits, or we could try to eschew deep emotional bonds in order to avoid heartbreak. But could we say that we've actually lived if we do all that? Or could we say instead that by avoiding the obvious pain, we've only afflicted deeper and more insidious wounds to ourselves? Heather and I both believe that to live a fulfilling and meaningful life means that we also need to accept that a certain exposure to random pain really is inevitable. And when it occurs, we get to figure out ways to incorporate it so it doesn't destroy us. Instead, it helps us become even better versions of ourselves. Like a strong sword forged in the torture of flame and hammer. Flame and hammer. Yes! For England! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm not British. <laughs> not at all. But in regards to our topic today, we're going to break it down into two primary characteristics. You've got resilience and you have anti-fragility. Ooh. So what is resilience? Well, simply put, resilience is the ability to experience pain, challenges, or stress, and then find a way to continue on or bounce back. So how is that any different from anti-fragility? Because you, you, you're talking about the experience of pain, the challenges, the stresses, and then finding a way to bounce back. How's anti-fragility any different? So, okay. Anti-fragile was coined by author, mathematician, and risk analyst Nassim Nicholas Taleb in his book, Anti-Fragile. 
According to Taleb, anti-fragility is the ability for a system to grow or benefit from unforeseen events, mistakes, or chaos. Ooh. Right? So it's taking the terrible things that happen and actually responding and becoming better because of the terrible things, not in spite of. An interesting analogy from mythology that I've seen is the difference between the phoenix and the hydra. You know? Mm. The phoenix rises from its ashes, right? So mm. it, it gets burned, but then it comes back exactly the same. Whereas a hydra, you keep cutting a head off and two more grow in its place. So it's anti-fragile as opposed to the phoenix, which is just resilient. Right. Absolutely. And then Tal Ben-Shahar, who is another author and a former Harvard professor, anti-fragility is like resilience 2.0. Mm. Resilience 1.0 is withstanding stress or being a phoenix, whereas the anti-fragile becomes better because of it. You know, like our muscular system. When we work out, we're causing trauma, it's painful, we're going through stress, and yet our muscles respond and become stronger because of the trauma that they've endured. I'm trying to achieve the same effect with slice after slice of carrot cake. I think that's a different kind of stress, and we're going to have to talk about this after the show. Oh, I'm in trouble, guys. <laughs> well, let's talk about resilience first, then, and uh, let's see what some of the most common characteristics are of resilience. Absolutely. So one of the main ones is resilient people know and recognize that shit happens. Shit happens. Shit happens. It happens all the time. It happens to everyone. Shit happens. Stercus accident. What he said. It's Latin for shit happens. <laughs> okay. So when we have that in our perspective, it helps us avoid feeling that we are special or singled out when adversity occurs, but terrible things happen all the time. And instead of thinking, why me? Think, why not me? Shit happens to everybody. Yeah. Shit happens. I like that. Honestly, that's kind of a, a very philosophical statement, even though it is a bit vulgar. It removes the ego from the equation. It's not, why is stuff happening to me? It's just... Oh, what about me? It, yeah. Instead, it just makes it sound like, well, yeah, it's constantly raining shit and you just happen to get some on you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The airflow caught you at that right time and now you've got poop on you, so... Yeah, exactly. Well, resilient people, I guess, are good at choosing where they place their attention then mm -hmm. in that case. Because they, it sounds to me like they can focus on what they can change and accept and what they can't. Yeah. Am I correct in that? Absolutely. It's about recognizing reality and then seeing your own personal autonomy within it. That's kind of the essence of stoicism, if you ask me. Because stoicism is about training yourself to handle the worst case scenarios by contemplating on them, by meditating on them with emotional detachment and practicing skills to deal with any situation effectively, dispassionately, you could say, almost like Vulcans, nanu nanu. <laughs> um, no, the tenets of stoicism are all about removing the fear and the hope from your anxious thoughts about the future and allowing you to like accept the inevitable hardships and the final end and things like that that all humans face. So it's a bit somber in that sense, but it's also liberatory because you get to like detach yourself from those nastinesses emotionally. So it does this by building up your mental fortitude to accept the present moment and the randomness of the next moment, whether it is a moment of pleasure or a moment of pain. So therefore, it's kind of a philosophy of acceptance. Mm -hmm. To me, stoicism is in a way uh, a philosophy about building a state of resilience within yourself. It sounds to me that resilience is a precursor to anti-fragility as well. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. And in that same vein, by focusing on 
what we can change and what we can't. It's not diminishing the negative, but it's simply focusing on what benefits we can earn from the state that we're in. So we can make an intentional, deliberate, and ongoing effort to fix what we can and accept what we can't. Resilient people also stay open-minded and flexible, right? So open to new ideas, opportunities. And something that I've come to understand is when there is a lot of upheaval uh, in my life or in the world in general, that's when the greatest opportunities arise because there's more movement, there's more fluidity, and we get to take advantage of more opportunities. I heard somewhere that the Chinese ideogram for chaos the first part says trouble and then the second part says opportunity or mm. something like that mm. i like that yeah we'll have to look that up hey man i saw it on the internet so it must be true it has to be and also resilient people we got to ask ourselves is what i'm doing is it helping me or is it harming me how how am i getting benefit from this and should i make different choices to get better results hmm okay so there's a certain school of thought that says that chasing happiness is antithetical to enjoying happiness. Mm -hmm. uh, that came up in our studies. And I was wondering if you might explain that to me because I am a little bit cloudy around it. I will do my best. Yeah. Why is chasing happiness antithetical to enjoying happiness? How does that work? So according to Tal Ben-Shahar, uh, and we'll link his book in the description, but the pursuance of happiness causes unhappiness because we are not able to exist in a state of happiness at all times. So it's kind of like chasing a high. If somebody does, I don't know, cocaine, for example, uh, a little bit, it gives them a high and that's super fun, but they want more of it. So they're going to keep chasing it and it, allow, it leads our lives into unbalance, whereas happiness is more of a side result of other aspects of our lives that we build. And so he has the SPIRE model, S-P-I-R-E. I'm sorry. So happiness is a mental chemical state, kind of. Yeah. Chasing happiness is like chasing a high. I get that now. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell us about the SPIRE model. What is that? Yeah. So the SPIRE model, it's got five levels to it. So the first one is spiritual, uh, where it's all about finding a sense of meaning and purpose in your life at work and at home, right? So meaning. So like, that's the S inspire. That is the spiritual? S inspire. Spiritual. Okay. This is this is Tal Ben Shahar's thing. So it's it's a good guide. He's got a thing. He's got a thing, and then physical. Right. So most important factor to unhappiness is stress. And what he means about that is that we don't include enough time for recovery. So stress is not a bad thing, but it's recognizing that we also need to recover from it. Okay. And of course, you know, working out and engaging with our bodies, we need it's it's all about balance. So these are the spiritual and physical things that make you happy. And that's the S and P of the Spire model. Correct. Okay, I get it. Now we move on to I, which is intellectual, so okay. stimulating our brains. According to his research, curious people are happier and live longer. Hmm. Does that make you want to ask a bunch of questions? No, I'm good. <laughs> 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 
No, that's definitely the part so far that I sort of connect with the most because I am sort of that person. You have insatiable curiosity. I, I do have insatiable curiosity. I do. Mm-hmm. I do. And I wonder why that is. I should look that up. Yeah, you probably should. Yeah. You should read all about it. I should read all about it. Read all about it. Oh! So, yeah. So curious people are happy people because they're satisfying their curiosity and their intellectual pursuits and all of that. Correct. Yeah. Engaging your minds and, you know, using your body. So it's using your mind, using your body, using your your sense of self, right? Mm. Then the R is relational. So it's all about our relationships. Relationships, guess what, guys, is the number one predictor of happiness. What? Yeah. Spending quality time with people we love and who love us in return. So the number one predictor of happiness in the Spire model is the R, relationships, huh? So the more quality time you spend with human beings of your choosing, the happier you are. And who love you in return. Well, that sounds like a great reason for most people to quit their jobs. (laughs) Or start a podcast. Or start a podcast, (laughs) because you'll never hang out with anyone else ever again. (laughs) That's not true. Yeah. Well, (laughs) you know... Balance, guys, balance. (laughs) So it really does remind me of... Another little piece of pop wisdom. There's this song from Nat King Cole Mm. uh, that I really like. It's called Nature Boy, and it's been in a couple of movies recently and stuff. But uh, uh, it says, the greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. Mm -hmm. I think Nat King Cole was a bit of a philosopher regarding the Spire model when he came up with that, because it sounds to me that that's what you're saying. Yeah, I'd say so. And then the, the E in the Spire model is emotional. It's understanding that we are going to have a whole array of emotions and we need to embrace them. The good ones, the bad ones, all of them in between. Because it's part of how we develop ourselves. It's part of the cycle of growth and wisdom. But first and foremost, gratitude. We have to express gratitude attitude for everything. Attitude of gratitude, yeah. attitude of gratitude. I know it's cheesy. I know it's attitude of the attitude. (laughs) But without a doubt, if we are grateful for what we have, it will continue to feed us. It will continue to to bring us joy. It will continue to exist. That which you pay attention to grows. Yeah. And so if you have a little bit of a ritual every day in order to focus on the things that you should have gratitude about, there will be more to be grateful for. Yeah. Yeah. And remember, happiness is whole being. So it's not about chasing happiness. It is about understanding that it's part of this large interlocking puzzle of what makes us human. Happiness is whole being. Humans being whole. And you get through that by following the Spire model of personal development, spiritual, physical, intellectual, relational, and emotional growth. Mm-hmm. I dig it. I, I dig, dig it, it too. So, Marco, what are some ways to foster anti-fragility? Oh, man. Ways to foster anti-fragility. Well, there's a few, actually. Um, there's like these seven points that you and I came up with in our studies. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one being seek out uncomfortable challenges. Oh. I know, I know. For us couch potato lovers, you know, like the thing is, is that we really like our comfort zone. And yet the best thing to do is to get out of it. 
Not always, you know, you always got to come back to your comfort zone for recharging and recuperation, you know, all of that. Mm -hmm. But to go out of your comfort zone, that's where the growth is. Yep. That's where the challenge is. That's where the victory is, right? Whether it's like you going out and working out, even though you don't feel like working out, guilty. Or whether it's, you know, like pursuing an intellectual pursuit that you aren't necessarily all the way into when you get started, guilty. But uh, the thing is, is you got to seek out the places that make you uncomfortable because wherever you see that you may be a little hesitant or a little fearful is because there may be some treasure at mm -hmm. the end of that rainbow. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a, a pearl in an oyster. It's going to cause irritation. It's not going to be comfortable. But eventually, you might have a pearl. Or in my case... I might be able to speak Spanish fluently. If I could only speak oyster, I would be down there in the water constantly asking oysters, hey, are you itchy? <laughs> cool. Let me take you home. <laughs> yeah. Why did that sound like it had a vague sexual connotation yeah. to it? Yeah, a little bit. Because <laughs> it's us. Because it's you. Because it is me. The second way to foster anti-fragility is to welcome opportunities for failure and then learn from them. Yeah, I, think I love goes, this one. Yeah, I think that goes hand in hand with the finding uncomfortable challenges. You know, you welcome opportunities for failure. That's, well, that comes from the uncomfortable challenge. You will have plenty of opportunity when you're out of your comfort zone to fuck up, to go wrong, to crash and burn, uh, to get hurt. But when you do fail, then you learn from it. You know, you always got to get up, dust yourself off, Try again, not the exact same way, because then you'll just end up falling the same way. Mm -hmm. You learn And then you do it again. And hopefully you succeed that time. And if you don't, then you had another opportunity to learn more. And if after enough times you still haven't succeeded, well, maybe that's not your bag. But you got to try for a really long time before you can think about quitting. <laughs> Absolutely. Another thing is to embrace post-traumatic growth. So mm. we're all familiar with uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, right? And instead, yes. with anti-fragility, you get to embrace post-traumatic growth. So just like with the muscular system, because that's a really easy one for me, you work out, it hurts, you get muscle stuff, and then your muscles grow. You get better because of it. Or if you and your partner get into a fight, you get into a disagreement about something, you have the opportunity to discuss it. And then hopefully the next time an opportunity like that comes up, you don't get into the same level of disagreement or you avoid the thing that caused the disagreement in the first place because right. you learned that it's not important and you just don't need to deal with it. Yeah. No, embracing post-traumatic growth is very good. You know, you get that growth from having had the pain and from having had the challenge and whether you failed it or whether you succeeded you got growth one way or another. So the next way to foster anti-fragility is to be patient with yourself and you recognize when you need time for that recovery. Just like I was talking with the first point about like, yeah, you got to have some couch time, but you yeah. also have to get up and challenge yourself out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of the corollary to that. Yes, you got to be challenging yourself, but you also got to know when to get back on the couch. Right. Or going for a workout, for example. You can't work out every single day and expect to have great results. You need time to recover. Yeah, you're going to plateau eventually and you need time for the muscles to like grow into the place that you've been training them into, etc. I, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, all of that. Mm -hmm. Another one is to find ways to diversify how and where you find joy including your social support structures. In other words, get other hobbies, get more hobbies, get more friends. 
Am I correct? You absolutely are. And this one, I feel that it's personally important because if you don't have multiple methods for joy and for enjoyment, you might become codependent. You might become like put all your eggs in one basket, emotionally speaking. And then so if Marco and I, yeah, we're best friends. We love hanging out. We love doing things together. But if he is the only person that I have fun with, if he's the only person that I have like deep conversation with, that is a lot of responsibility for him. And then it's not enough variety for us. And what if he doesn't want to talk to me for a couple of days? What if he needs a break? Then what am I supposed to do? I guess you'd be screwed. Yeah, I'd be screwed. And yeah. I would have just screwed myself instead of fostering, you know, other relationships or other things to, you know, have fun with. So always have more friends, always have more social support structures, always have more things to bring you joy. Find those things and bring them into your life, you know, whether they're hobbies, interests, intellectual pursuits, physical pursuits, friendships. Yes. And always practice patience and kindness to yourself and your partner or partners. Life can be rough. And if we don't show patience and compassion to ourselves and to our loved ones, we're just going to make it rougher. So recognize that we're all human, we're all fallible, things are going to happen, and take the time to heal and then keep pushing on. Well, there it is. Taking time for yourself, like you just said, you know, so you are able to sort out feelings and personal reflections and such. Mm -hmm. So speaking of, let's talk about relationships a little bit more specifically. Sure. Like how to practice relationship anti-fragility. Mm, yeah. So we talked about resilience being just the capacity to endure stress, mm -hmm. but how to actually make it strengthen your relationship instead of just get through it. Yeah. There's conflicts in life, right? Conflicts are a natural product of there being just two people. Period. Like in any place, you know, you, you put two people in an elevator and you just leave them there for like, you know, forever. And eventually there's going to be a conflict between the two of them because there's two people occupying one space. OK, mm -hmm. that's why there's conflicts. Um, it has nothing to do with the fact that your relationship sucks or anything like that. It's because there are two people in the relationship. Therefore, there will be conflicts. Yes. So when there are no conflicts. Eh, from the outside, the relationship might seem like it's stable, but it's actually pretty fragile because when a conflict does come up, then the couple doesn't know how to handle it because they've never had a fight or they've never had an argument. They've never had a discussion. So it, you know, it can damage the relationship. Uh, alternately, if there are minor conflicts, the couple has the opportunity to practice elements of conflict resolution. They right. can, yeah, they can learn more about relationships. They can learn more about each other's needs and wants within the relationship. And so that way, when the bigger conflicts come up, that couple can then navigate them with more skill. Yeah. So that way, a strong relationship benefits from conflict. It's anti-fragile. It gets stronger with wear. I was just thinking about at the very beginning of a relationship, if somebody had an opportunity to start setting boundaries with each other, like this is what's important to me, this is what is a no-go or whatever, then it's almost like a little bit of a conflict at the very beginning. I don't know if, if you have to have a conflict in order to set boundaries. I mean, sure, a conflict arose that gives you the opportunity to set boundaries, but you can also just set boundaries completely peaceably. You know, like, oh, right. like when you're first getting to know each other over coffee, oh, by the way, I don't like... Uh, having three ways with a cow, you know? I know? I'm not saying that there has to be conflict, but it can be a little bit stressful because what if this person is like, oh, well, 
that's too bad because this thing that's a no-go for you, like three ways with a cow, that's something that's really important for me. So I'm not going to be able to continue this relationship anymore. <laughs> well, I'd say there's no conflict there. Bye. <laughs> Take your cow with you. <laughs> no, but really, in, in a regular, normal, non-theoretical, no-cows-added relationship, the skillful resolution of conflict brings about relationship strengthening. Mm -hmm. It does. It gets stronger with wear. Mm -hmm. um, now, that is true up to a point. That's a caveat, okay? Up to a point. If there's always so much conflict in your relationship that the conflict itself is what defines your relationship, then you probably have a bigger problem. And you I'd should agree. And you should probably consider whether it's the right relationship for you. The same is true if you've not learned to handle conflict constructively. If you're just fighting and thrashing around against each other blindly, you know, that's kind of like a relationship noob kind of thing to do. And you're probably causing more harm than the original source of conflict. So you need to learn some techniques to fight for the relationship, not against it. Mm, I like that clarification. That's good. Thanks. I'm kind of big on that one. Yeah. And it's stressful to have difficult conversations and relationships, but that's exactly why we need them. The exactly. stress itself is productive when the difficult conversation is handled in that, as you would say, stoic or anti-fragile manner. But getting through a disagreement by speaking openly and with detachment from the issue, well, then it allows us to strengthen the foundation of our relationships with better understanding and a deeper commitment. Stressful experiences then become stories of triumph and growth instead of stories of failure, and it just strengthens your commitment to each other. Indeed. Conflict is inherent in life and relationships. That's the bottom line. Mm -hmm. And that's got nothing to do with it being a bad relationship. It just conflicts happen. And repressing those conflicts or arguing with anger like a noob, like an amateur, only makes more relationship fragility. Mm -hmm. So if you want an anti-fragile relationship that strengthens through life's inevitable headwinds, you got to have those difficult conversations. You got to be open to addressing the conflict face-to-face -face with detachment, and you find a non-confrontational approach. Yeah, so speaking of, why don't you tell us a little bit about nonviolent communication? Because I know this is big with you. Yeah, sure. So there's this like 1970s method for conflict resolution that's actually been used in everything from like hostage situations in Iran mm. to, you know, just relationship counseling situations. Mm -hmm. And it's called NVC, which is short for nonviolent communication. This communication tool, it has the main goal of creating empathy in the conversation, mm. right? So it generates yes. empathy by sort of refocusing not on what people are saying, but kind of on what people are meaning. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to quote straight off the website here, okay, for nonviolent communication. This is a communication tool with the main goal of creating empathy in the conversation. The central premise being that solution-oriented discussion is more readily engaged after empathy is established between the parties having the discussion, and thus a path is opened toward fulfilling both parties' fundamental needs. Some notable ideals include rejecting coercive forms of discourse, gathering facts through observing without evaluating, genuinely and concretely expressing feelings and needs, and formulating effective and empathetic requests. Yeah, wow. So yeah, nonviolent communication is a whole rabbit hole in and of itself, and we'll probably make an entire episode about it in the near future because it is a communication strategy that really fascinates me. Nice. Um, so, okay, when conflict arises, if you wanted to use something like NVC, 
you would, in the middle of a fight, for example, you would choose to reduce your emotional response, right? You know, practice some detachment. So that means taking a time out for a few minutes to organize your thoughts. And then you would want to consciously remember that the relationship is greater than the conflict. That's mm. a good mantra to always keep. Yes. So stress isn't a final state, you know, the, the relationship stress, the relationship conflict. It's not a final state. It's just an indicator of something that needs to change. Yeah, that makes sense. Bring it down to that. Just be dispassionate about it. Just be like, you know, instead of freaking out that the gas gauge is going red, just be like, oh, look at that. It just needs more gas. Mm -hmm. You know? So you would search the conversation in the argument that you just had for clues about its real meaning. Because that's one of the things about NVC is that what people need is not always what people say. Right. Ego creates smoke screens to protect itself all the time. In fact, most relationship fights are just like these battlefields of like landmines and smoke screens that two egos are throwing up in order to protect themselves because they've already been bruised. Yeah, just terrified egos. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the reason your egos are terrified or bruised or whatever is because we all have these basic needs, the needs that are not addressed and therefore the fight kind of grows around this unaddressed need. So these needs are really basic, like I need to feel loved. Right. I need to feel included. Mm -hmm. I need to feel safe. I need to be reassured that you're not going to leave me for X or Y. More basic than that, I need to be valuable. Oh, okay. Wow. Like extreme, like one word. Like that's the whole thing. <laughs> so you got to find ways to navigate through the obstacles placed by the ego and attachment to a real solution. And I mean, like, don't address the landmines. Don't address the smoke screens. Don't don't keep getting in the fight. Just instead, go straight to the solution, which would be addressing the basic need that's in conflict. So it was like the other day, I was really upset, but it was just my insecurities kind of like freaking out. And what it really came down to was I just needed to be reassured that Marco loves me. That was it. It just had to come down to that. And you made it so very clear and you really cut through the bullshit and you're like, I love you. I find you attractive. You're like my best friend. Yeah. Well, a little light on that comment is that you have been going through a physical space where you aren't feeling like that particularly awesome or gorgeous or anything like that uh, because you're just in recovery from a surgery. And so, yeah, you just need a reassurance that I still feel about you the same way I've always felt and always will feel about you. You're the most beautiful girl in the world and I love you more than anything else in the universe. Sorry I let you forget. And it's not even that you let me forget. It's just that my ego was feeling insecure and I needed reassurance and you cut right through the bullshit and you gave me the love and reassurance that I needed Yeah, so without falling prey to the landmines that my ego was throwing out all around you. Sure was. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I was really trying to reel them in. <laughs> and that is the secret is to go straight for the basic need. You need to feel loved. You need to feel appreciated. You need to feel sexy. All of those kind of things. Uh, those are like the super basic needs that create the conflict. Everything else, all the details are just smokescreen and landmines, by the way. <laughs> so then you touch base with each other's basic needs to provide those solutions. So I'm like, I hear that you felt ugly. I'm really sorry about my part in that. And, you know... I just want to reassure you, you are the most beautiful girl in the world. I absolutely love you. You're an amazing woman. You're gorgeous. You're all of these things. The ones, the things that I determine that you're feeling that you're lacking in acknowledgement of right now. And so I go there 
straight there. And once the ego has been satiated or or once the ego's like like it's been mollified. Yeah, once it's been mollified. There you go. That's a good word, mollified. Thank you. You acknowledge how the conflict illuminated the unmet needs and how it's better now because we know what is needed. So I might say like is this good? I mean like do you need anything more from me cuz cuz I can keep giving this to you over and over again all you want, you know, and at that point, <laughs> you know, you would say, you know, I'm good. Thanks. You've told me. It's good. Thanks. <laughs> right? So then if if there are real changes, you know, like behavioral changes in the relationship, then you would end up making plans to realize those changes, to meet the needs. You know, so if it's like I don't feel supported and the fight was washing the dishes, you know, well then yeah, you you make a plan to like wash more dishes. Right. Or say, okay, I understand that you need to feel supported. Washing dishes isn't something that naturally works for me. However, if I do this, this and that, would that make you feel supported? Can we break it up that way? Right. It's it's about making a plan together. Yeah, it's right? about balancing the energy out. It doesn't necessarily have to be like completely symmetrical, just balanced. Yeah. So once you've brought that balance back to your relationship, you acknowledge that you had a fight and that it was stressful, but that you're in a better place for dealing with it. You know, it's. Hmm. It, I know it sounds a little bit therapist-ish, but it's good to take a survey of where you're at. And, you know, you'd be like, hey, that was a rough one today, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here, let's have a hug, you know, and aren't we happy that we got over it, you know, and uh, yeah. and addressed the issue. And then your partner would be like, yes, we addressed the issue. I feel good. Uh, or your partner would say, no, we haven't addressed the issue. You scumbucket. And it starts all over again. But if you did it right, it's the first one. <laughs> and then this is a part of the ritual. You congratulate yourselves. You do a little ritual, like a little dinner or a scoop of ice cream, or, you know, like you put a little gold star on your partner's head or something for like having gotten through this. In other words, you celebrate. You celebrate your wins. You celebrate the victory. And yeah. that is how you take the stress, the pain of a conflict, and you turn it into a strength for your relationship. Hmm. Because you you made your relationship bigger than the conflict. You vanquished the problem that was creating the conflict. So you made your relationship more anti-fragile. Exactly. Oh, I like it a lot. In fact, I think we should probably create a little pin that's like the anti-fragility badge, you know, from Girl Scout badges and stuff like that, right? Oh my gosh. We should totally do an anti-fragility badge. (laughs) Oh, that would be cool. Hey, dear love bunnies, how many of you would wear badges? (laughs) Maybe we'll make some and like be like, it's on our website oh, that'd be fun <laughs> i don't know we, we might have to look into that <laughs> so i kind of want to close out with this quote by tal ben shahar that goes i do not think things necessarily happen for the best however we can learn to make the best of things that happen mm. so for me it sums it up really well shit happens let's not take it personal Let's instead take what's happened and become better because of it. Become better because of it. Because we know relationships are difficult. Mm-hmm. It's a big job to juggle two wills, two egos. Or more. Yes. Oh, yes. It's a big job to juggle two or more wills, two or more egos in one life path. Absolutely. You know, and there may be times when you think things are hopeless and that it's all going to break apart. But we know that each and every one of us has that ability to learn from our relationships, to become better people because of our relationships. Mm -hmm. And if we are lucky, we can enjoy many, many years of love and growth with our best friends and lovers. And honestly, we wish that for all of you. Wholeheartedly. I know you can do it because you're smart and hot. 
Well, that's it for our show today. <laughs> well, that's it for our show today. Thank you for joining us. And remember, you can reach out on Facebook, that ancient relic of family infighting, at facebook.com slash howtoloveforever and Instagram at hownumeral2loveforever. We really want to hear your feedback and what you would like for us to cover. Also, reach out if you have a story to share or you would like to be a guest on the podcast. Heck, we even have a private mode if you want to share your story but wish to remain anonymous. We can do it Dear Abby style and read your story or questions in the podcast without any true names revealed. You can email us directly at contact at howtoloveforever.com. Don't be shy. We don't bite. Without without consent. consent. And if you feel that our show provides some value, it's good for the world, or just plain entertaining, there are so many ways to show your support. You can leave us a review and a positive comment on your podcast app of choice. It definitely helps our show grow. And you can also tell all of your friends to listen in because, baby, we want to touch the world. With consent. With consent. With consent. Yeah, yeah, with consent. Yeah. Also, if you want to be our sugar daddy or sugar mama, because that's that's appropriate comments. Super appropriate. Totally appropriate. Yeah. We're you, so PC. So PC. You can join our supporter community on Patreon. Patreon. We have a range of supporter levels to choose from, starting at just $3 a month. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> so what do you get? You get early access, extra content, behind-the-scenes looks at our processes. You get full video versions of every interview and more. So you can check us out at patreon.com slash howtoloveforever. Join us for next week's episode where we share with you some fantastic ways to have more and better sex. More and better sex? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yay, sex is good. Sex is good. Yes, and good sex is even better. Truth. Truth, Marco. I have truths. So many truths. So until then, remember, <laughs> love deep. Love hard. Love, love forever. forever. Get your truths right here. I got buckets <laughs> full of truth. I got deep fried truth. I got truth tartar. I got truth etouffee. I got truth bisque. I got truth with truth sauce on it. I got truth and spam. Got truth, spam, spam, truth, and spam. I just don't even know what to say anymore. That's the truth. Yeah.